Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me first and foremost on the left of my screen is everyone's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So Kieran, first things first, mate, great to have you back here on the County Cricket Podcast for a chat about all things County Championship. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, I'm having a great day. I've just been watching England women and largely Nat Siverbrunt be an absolute gun at cricket. So, yeah, it's going well. Yeah, it's been a great day, hasn't it, for England? Charlie Dean as well. Yeah. Goodness me, what performance that was. Maiden Pfeiffer in ODI cricket. So, an excellent win. Series victory as well for England against Sri Lanka. Wrapping up the series convincingly at Grace Road in Leicester. A lovely day for the England women. And to be honest, Kieran, glad that you've had a good day as well, mate. A very wholesome way to kickstart proceedings on this episode of the County Cricket Podcast. But folks, it's not just myself and Kieran on today's episode of TCCP. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back the third of our trio of County Cricket Musketeers. Everyone's favourite Essex-based but Yorkshire supporting co-host, Mr Matt Wiley. So Matt, again, I'll ask you the exact same question, mate. How's your day been so far? And I will give you the exact same answer, my friend. Yes, uh, it's been very good. Um, I've been working for most of it, but I've also uh, found time to catch a bit of England uh, women from Grace Road. Um, although, to be fair, I missed the batting. I missed, I missed our batting, and I was surprised, to be fair, I, I got the alert, and I saw 273, and I thought, oh, that's a decent score of 50 over. And then I saw I got it in, then I saw that we've got it in 31. It was even better. So, uh, yes. It's uh, excellent, Matt. Like I said, excellent way to wrap it up and uh, a good day all round. Certainly was. And yeah, Kieran mentioned it beforehand. Nat Siverbrunt's fastest centurion for England in the women's game. Superb. So full credit to the women's side. They've been absolutely brilliant today. And yes, what a fantastic way to kickstart an episode of the Cows Cricket Podcast. All three of us having wonderful days and all three of us ready to discuss the action in this week's rounds of the 2023 LV County Championship. So, folks, I say that we just get straight into the action and let's kickstart our conversation with Division 1. So, starting first and foremost with the results in the first division this week, there were only three matches in Division 1 and we'll start in the South East, where Kent and Nottinghamshire played out a very entertaining draw at the Spitfire Grounds in Canterbury. Then, moving up to my home county of Warwickshire, let's go to the second city where the Bear and Ragged Staff beat Northamptonshire by two wickets in a certified thriller at Edgebaston Cricket Grounds. And finally, moving up to the northwest, we had Lancashire and Middlesex playing out a rain-affected draw at Emirates Old Trafford. So, as I've just said there, there were only three matches. Four of the counties weren't even in action this week, but those results have had quite a significant effect on the Division 1 table. So, still unsurprisingly, at the top of Division 1 at the end of the 14th round are Surrey, on 205 points. In second are Essex on 187 points. In third are the Rosen Crown of Hampshire on 153 points. In fourth, having moved up one place and my county of Warwickshire on 149 points. In fifth are the Red Rose of Lancashire on 146 points. In sixth and seventh are Somerset and Nottinghamshire on 128 and 122 points respectively. And then moving towards the bottom stages of the table, We've got Middlesex in 8th on 95 points, Kent in 9th on 93 points, and rock bottom of the division on just 63 points are Northamptonshire in 10th place. So, honestly, at both the top and the bottom of the table, it is going to be an absolute dogfight 
as we shall discuss over the course of tonight's episode. But before we get into that debate and that discussion about the, the relegation dogfight, I wanted to start first and foremost with that game at Edgebaston and the events that we witnessed on day four, because I've got to be honest, I was incredibly confused. I'm not sure how much you two saw of this particular game, but we, we really did have an odd morning session at Edgebaston on the fourth day of proceedings. So for those who don't know, this was a massively rain-affected game. We'd only had, realistically, about four sessions of cricket heading into the fourth day, and at this stage, the game was destined to be a bore draw. However, North Ants had accumulated a massive overrate penalty. There were five overs behind, which, considering the precarious situation they're in, they couldn't really afford to lose five points. It would have seen them pretty much mathematically relegated. As a result, we had a bizarre start to proceedings on day four, which saw North Ants rattling through overs at a ridiculously quick pace, but Warwickshire not scoring any runs. Now, I've got to ask, guys, what did you make of that? First and foremost, Kieran, I'll start with you, mate, because we don't often see this in county cricket. It was a very, very confusing start to the day at Edgebaston this week. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one. Um, and then yeah, the, the events that followed, um, you know, the couple of declarations and and the, the way the day finished. But yeah, um, obviously, as you said, for, for North Ants, in the precarious position they're in, um, they're not in a position where they, they would be able to um, lose any points because that would basically cut them adrift with with no chance of of staying up. So um, yeah, a weird start to the day, um, and that kind of just set up um, an interesting finish. Though I, I think without that, um, potentially you wouldn't have had um, the chance for the game to finish the way it did. Well, that is a very very fair point, Kieran. But Matt, I'll go to you, mate, because. I know that you all have some thoughts on this particular game and the, the almost gentleman's agreement nature of that morning session because I think that's what it was, judging by the description that, that John Sadler has given in the, in the post-match comments. So what did you make of proceedings? And in particular, that very, very strange declaration that Kieran was alluding to, 72 for none declared after 22.3 overs. Bear in mind that, that Warwickshire's bowlers were Michael Burgess, Rob Yates and Dan Mosley bowling seem up. What did you make of that morning session? And were you in favour of that session taking place in order for there to be a, a more thrilling and exciting conclusion to this particular encounter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, long question. I think it only requires a short answer, to be honest. 100% I'm in favour. I love it when teams do that. It, you can either let a game just fall by the wayside because it's been rain-affected and let it peter out into what was, I suppose, inevitable without a little bit of outside influence or you can try and influence it and make sure that we can create a bit of a exciting finale the declaration obviously was not it, it seems quite random on the face of it doesn't it but it was clearly pre-agreed before they even started batting i think it was probably pre-agreed when work should be declared wasn't it so it was a case of i don't know if it was let's see how many we can get and set them in 60 overs or if it was an agreement to let's try and get as close to a number as possible because they did declare in the middle of an over didn't they which was like i said on the face of it it seems incredibly random there's no logic to it at all but it must have been a case of let's get to a certain amount and then when they've got 60 overs to go that's going to be your target although and i'm sure we'll come on to what followed 
I thought that if, if they had been agreed that it's 175, 180 off 60 overs, I think that's very generous on Northland's part. I have to say, I would want some more than that, but turned out to be uh, a decent uh, decent decision by Workshaw, as I'm sure you're about to tell us now. Yeah, it certainly was, and I completely agree with that sentiment, Matt. It was a very, very generous declaration, but as it turns out, I do think there was actually an agreement, and I think it was between 175 to the 180 run mark. Now, again, some people might take issue with that, because is it a case of questioning the integrity of the game? Should teams be allowed to do that in the first place? But we did have a very, very exciting finish to proceedings in the second city this week, and I suppose the architect, the protagonist behind that was Ben Sanderson. So, Kieran, I'm guessing you've seen the hat-trick. It was a hat-trick of the very highest order. I was there at the ground. It's not often that you see Sam Hang out for a golden duck, but that was a pitch-perfect outswinger. Castled his off-stump. Great piece of bowling from a legend of Northamptonshire County Cricket Club. What did you make of that 5-for-42 from Ben Sanderson? And crucially that spectacular hat-trick that we saw on day four? Well, the hat-trick particularly, um, obviously very good bowling. He was just bowling like a nagging line. Um, and the Sam Hain one, as you say, yeah, not particularly often that you see Sam Hain get out for a golden duck. And um, it, sort of where Sanderson was bowling and the fact that the keeper was up to the stumps, um, it, it made sure that he couldn't really use his feet so that, the line that he was bowling, the area area that he was bowling, it sort of made made sure that Hayne was stuck on the crease and and that wasn't um, able to play it how how he might have played it in another situation. Um, and then yeah, obviously very good bowling to take the hat trick. Um, and yeah, nearly turned the game in its head. I wondered at, at that stage whether um, once Warwickshire had, had gone sort of four or five wickets down, whether they might just go into the shell and just rather than trying to win the game, trying not to lose the game, because it, it did look after, as you've, you've both mentioned, uh, a generous declaration that Warwickshire could actually be on the losing end um, after, you know, mainly as a consequence of Sanderson's bowling. Um, but, um, yeah, Michael Burgess played a fantastic knock, um, particularly when he was together with um, Han and Dolby. Uh, he, he just sort of, played a really nice counter-attack in it with, with just two wickets left. And I think he knew that he had to do that, really, um, with not much support at the other end. Um, and it, it, if it comes off, great. And obviously it looks fantastic, that the fact that it did come off. Um, and it, it, it was a really good finish to the game. It really was, Kieran. And we'll discuss Michael Burgess and the Owl himself, Mr Oliver Hannon dolby in due course. But just to give some more context and more background, to the enormity of this performance from Ben Sanderson. It was the first hat-trick by a Northants player in first-class cricket since 2010 when Andrew Hall took one, and it was only the second time that a Northamptonshire cricketer has taken a hat-trick against Warwickshire after Sidney Smith's one back in 1914, so 109 years in the making. And as if that wasn't enough, over the course of that fiver, he claimed his 350th career first-class wicket and also claimed his 18th first-class fifer. Ben Sanderson is a bona fide titan of Northamptonshire County Cricket Club. He's one of the best players to ever play for that club, in particular in my lifetime, and he deserves all of the plaudits, all of the credits on planet Earth. I thought he was absolutely exceptional, and it's a shame, to be honest, that he couldn't have bowled a little bit more 
He's a human. He got tired. He got fatigued. If he would have bowled throughout that entire innings, Northampton would have won that. And who knows that they could have been taking a step towards safety. But as was the case, Michael Burgess, ice in his veins, 78 not out. And Oliver Hannon-Dorby manufacturing a dogged nine out to see the Bears home to a tense and nervous, a dramatic victory by just two wickets on home soil. So, guys, I've got to ask about North Ants first and foremost, because they are in an incredibly perilous position. Uh, I think for all accounts, they are the first team to be relegated in Division 1 this season. They're on 63 points. There's a massive gap, and they've got Essex and Surrey as their final two matches. So, as much as it would be a fairy tale, as much as it'd be absolutely miraculous, I do think now it's time to say it's a bridge too far, isn't it, for Northampton? They've got to focus on rebuilding and regathering in Division 2 next year. So, Matt, I'll start with you first and foremost, mates. Where do Northampton go from here? What do they need to improve next season in order to come straight back up into the first division? I think the obvious one that you just see straight away is the batting, isn't it? And I know that's probably easier said than done because... It seems like when you go on Twitter, there's every single fan of every single county isn't happy with the team's batting. It's always the one that comes in with the most pressure, but it is the most obvious one, isn't it? You know, the amount of batting bonus points they've got this season has simply not been enough. And you would think that if they'd been, perhaps, if they'd had a little bit more, I don't want to say spine, because that makes it seem like somehow they've rolled over, but if they had a bit more kind of fight about them in the batting, they might have been able to not just amass more batting points, but turn some of those losses into draws. And even, you know, if they turn two or three of the defeats into draws, we could be sat here, talking, they, they could have an extra 24 points and they would still be right in the mix. So that's the most obvious question one. I think the bowling is okay. You know, like you talked about Ben Sanderson. I think the only sort of thing I would potentially look at in terms of the bowling it's a little bit old, isn't it? Like when you look at Ben Sanderson, he's. I always find it funny when people say professional sportsmen are getting on a bit because they're in the 30s and they're not getting on in life at all. I mean, they're still young men. But in terms of the sporting career, it's a short career. You need proper youngsters coming through. So I do wonder if you want to try and maybe improve the overall sort of age profile of the squad a little bit. I think the weird thing is, that's not so much a problem in the batting department when you've got players like Vasco Salas, Emilio Gay, who are still young, up-and-comers. So you might have one problem that needs fixing, which is just the batting needs to improve overall. But then if you can look at refining the bowling, that's been more of a strength. So I would say if you can kind of build on that by improving the age profile of it, then I think you've got a recipe for a good, solid platform and... There's no massive rushes, though I don't think they need to, you know, it's not like in football where, it, you know, the the bottom can fall out of your finances if you get relegated. There's not a huge difference. It's more the pride aspect and the kind of, you the ability to call yourself a Division One club, isn't it? So they have the time on the side to be able to rebuild. And I think that if they can sort out that batting and uh, maybe just make the bowling attack just to, a fraction younger, then they should be in a good place. It's easier said than done, though, isn't it? In oh, particular yeah. for the for the non-test hosting counties, finances, of course, as, as we discuss often on this podcast, Matt, do come into consideration. But it's a good point that you made there about bringing the age profile down 
because they've brought in George Scrimshaw. Now, at the same time, they are losing Tom Taylor. He'll be a massive loss across formats. But I do think they were looking for that difference maker, in particular when it comes to the change bowling, because this was something which came up a lot at Edgebaston this week, and it was Northampton's change bowling. So with the likes of Luke Proctor, the likes of Tom Taylor, the likes of Simon Kerrigan and Rob Keogh, they're good bowlers, but it is very much the same pace. You've got two spinners who bowl the exact same kind of spin, and then you've got two seam bowlers there who bowl medium fast. So they needed something to just change things up. They needed an X factor. And I do think as long as he stays fit, George Scrimshaw could be exactly that in the second division. And then, of course, with the bat in hand, massive, massive improvements needed for North Ants next season. But we'll have to wait and see. There could still be a few departures from Wantage Road come the end of the season. So I suppose we'll leave the, the total rebuild until the end of the season and give our thoughts in due course. But as for the Bears... Finally, a good week, a week to rejoice about after two incredibly tough games, heartbreak against Hampshire, or I should say a humiliation, to be honest, being bowled out for 93, the sixth lowest list day total in our history, and then just getting steamrolled by Surrey. It's nice to be able to, to celebrate a win, and it was a tense win. It was a horrible win. My hairline has taken an absolute pounding yet again because of this cricket club, but we won. And that's all that matters. Mathematically securing the first division for another season. Let's try and get third place. That's all that I can hope for as a fan of Warwickshire County Cricket Club at the moment. That'd be a massive improvement after finishing eighth last season. But guys, going on to our next encounters then, right? Just talking of that relegation dogfight because Northampton Forty do seem to have been cut adrift. But Middlesex and Kent very much are in a pitched battle for survival heading into these last two games. So, Kieran, this is the big question for today's episode. I asked it to Matt last week, but judging off of the performances this round, as well as the season as a whole, who do you back to stay in the first division? Do you think it'll be the White Horse of Kent or the Saxes of Middlesex? What are your thoughts? Um, let me just look who both of them have got to, towards the back end of the season now. I'll make my judgment off that. I can uh, tell you exactly who they've got. Kent have go, got Somerset and Lancashire, whereas Middlesex have got Warwickshire, which is going to be very, very tough. And then that final game of the season, a trip to Trent Bridge to face Knotts. So who do you think will stay up? I think from that, I would say Kent. Um, and I'm not really too sure why. Um to be honest, I mean, obviously this week they were sort of buoyed by the fact that um, Zach Crawley hit a ridiculous score um, in the first innings and and that that basically propped them up for, for the rest of the game, um, set a platform for them to hit um, 400 odd all, all out. And then um, <laughs> you saw afterwards they sort of fell to pieces in the, um, the final innings, um, but, uh, you know, there just wasn't, quite enough time um for for knots to beat them um so that could potentially be a be a problem for them if if somebody obviously Zach Crawley's now going to be with England um for, for the rest of the season whereas it's tough to say really because both of them have been obviously quite poor this season which which is why they're both down there um but I think you, you would say that with the bat, Kent have just got a little bit more um, 
that there's Middlesex have been the poorest team in county cricket with the bat so far this season and you can't really see that changing like they hit 194 and then 160 for three against against Lancashire so I, I think from from that I would say Kent have probably just got enough to edge it but it's a really difficult one to call. It really is. And again, it's the age-old battle, isn't it? Do you back the team which bowls better, which is Middlesex, or the team which bats better, which is Kent? And Kent, crucially, do have a home fixture in that final round of games against Lanx. So that could just tip the balance in favour of the White Horse. But this was a really interesting round for both of these counties, wasn't it? So first and foremost, Middlesex got off to a really poor start. In that game against Lanks, as you rightly alluded to, Kieran, another chance of a batting bonus point completely gone. It was a very, very disappointing display with the bats, but they showed a lot of heart, a lot of character, a lot of courage and determination on that fourth and final day to secure those draw points. Now, on the flip side, down in the southeast, Kent were in a brilliant position, weren't they? At one point at lunch on day four, they needed three wickets to take. They would have been in a great position. They could have gone on to win the game. That would have been a massive step forward to securing their safety in the first division for next season. But unfortunately, the likes of Brett Hutton, Joe Clark, they spoiled the party. They dug in for an entire session. And then, as you said, Kieran, that run chase did fall apart in large part due to some excellent bowling from Nottinghamshire newcomer Asita Fernando. So you've got two sides there who are pitted against each other and had completely different results. Both got draws this week, but both will have completely different reactions to those draws. Middlesex will be delighted, to be honest, to come away from Old Trafford with those extra points, whereas Kent will probably look back on this if they do get relegated as the chance which went begging. So it's going to be interesting. And Matt, you had a lot of facial expressions during that that little passage from Kieran. I'm absolutely, I'm intrigued. To be honest, to know what your thoughts were, who do you think will survive the drop now that Kent's have got those two games remaining? And of course, Middlesex will face Warwickshire without the likes of Samuel Robert Hain. I think that Kieran makes a really, really good point, actually. I've got to be honest about the bat, um, with, about Middlesex with the bat in hand, definitely. But I just have a feeling about that Middlesex will somehow get themselves out of it. I think they've they've got themselves in a bit of a situation where the backs are to the wall you know we've had that sort of off field stuff which shouldn't really affect the players too much I wouldn't have thought but it's still almost I guess when you're if you're in a bit of a kind of a group that's in a relegation scrap anything like that can come as a bit of a as an attack on on you maybe it, it can be seen as a bit of a sort of forces conspiring against you so I feel like that might bring out something a bit more Great, a bit more fight. I just and I just think as well that Middlesex have got that slight that spine that just feels a bit more. I just feel like they've got a bit that intangible bit more about them, um, especially given that Zach Crawley is going to be going with England on that ODI um, the, the ODI series against Ireland. That will not help Kent call at all. And yeah, I, I just think that there's going to be it's definitely going to be close. And like I said, Kieran, you make some really valid points, mate. But I did. I just, I've just got a feeling about Middlesex that they'll somehow fight their way out of it. Well, that's interesting. Then, so we're split 
on the Counter Cricket Podcast. We've got Kent and Middlesex. That is very, very interesting. So I'd be the deciding vote, wouldn't I, in, in that scenario? But I'll, I'll be objective for the time being. May no. the best team survive. Come on. May the best team survive. Give us an answer. Come <laughs> on. No, I'm, play- I'm playing the role of Switzerland in tonight's episode of the podcast, so remaining firmly neutral. Because to be honest, I, I-, I wouldn't take any great pleasure in seeing either of those sides down. Before the season, I did say that Middlesex would stay up. So I suppose from a selfish perspective, I would prefer them to stay up. But at the same time, Kent's... They have got some good players. I like watching Daniel Bell Drummond. Obviously, the likes of Zach Crawley is now with England. And I just think that with the addition of Matt Parkinson, they could come back strong next season if they are to stay in Division 1. So we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But yeah, they are going to be two incredibly, incredibly nervy rounds for both those counties heading into the culmination of what has been a blockbuster Division 1 in 2023. But one of the counties which we haven't really discussed in length for a very, very long time in this podcast, actually is Nottinghamshire, because they escaped with a draw in this round of fixtures to almost entirely secure their place in the first division next season. It's not mathematically set in stone just yet, but it's pretty likely that they'll stay in Division 1 next season. But for all intents and purposes, seventh place, 122 points, three wins, four draws, five losses, for a team which completely dominated... Division 2 last summer, which has got England internationals, some fine domestic cricketers as well. It's not been a very good season, has it? So, Matt, I'll go back to you, mate. What have you made of the East Midlands County performances in this year's championship? Because if you were to ask me as a neutral, I think they've been quite underwhelming, haven't they? I think they have, yeah. I think if you want another kind of barometer to maybe judge in the gap between Division 1 and Division 2, you can look at, say, Gloucestershire who kind of fell away from Division 1, you know, quite a convincing relegation, wasn't it? And they've then been nowhere near the top of of Division 2 this year. So that, to me, suggests that the gap isn't that big, really, because um, a team that didn't do very well in Division 1, you know, if it was if it was a massive gap, then they would be competing straight towards the top, wouldn't they? But they weren't. So... I think that means that you have to say you would expect a team like Nottingham that utterly dominated Division 2 to come up and continue doing well, and they haven't. So it's almost, you know, who do you believe? But I think you can I think you can believe Gloucestershire on this occasion. I think you can believe that the gap is not that big and that Nottingham should have definitely underperformed. It's, it's their style of cricket, isn't it? It's that kind of quite gung-ho, positive style. And obviously, sometimes that brings wins, and it brought more wins in Division 2 against Division 1 attacks. It's been a little bit more exposed. You know, we saw it very early on in the season at Lord, didn't we, against Middlesex, um, when they tried to take a bit of a risk and it backfired. So, yeah, it's it's been underwhelming. Um, they've got to, I think, tone it down a little bit, that kind of approach. But I like positive cricket. But that's re- that's occasionally taking it a little bit too far, and it's been to their detriment, I think, because they should have done better in Division One this season. I really think that they should. Um, there's no reason to think they can't kick on and keep going, but I think people would agree. Yeah, it's not been uh, up to scratch. It hasn't, and to be honest, I think the expectations in Nottingham are a lot higher for this team 
and this county because in the past, obviously, they have been incredibly successful. In Red Bull cricket, they've won the championship twice in the 2000s. So this is a team, this is a county, this is a club which has experienced a lot of success. And this has been a very disappointing season. It's part of the territory, isn't it? When you do play for a big club like Nottinghamshire, the expectations are up there. It's the same when you play for, for Warwickshire or Lancashire or Yorkshire or Surrey. You're always going to have that additional pressure. And unfortunately, this season, things just have not worked out for Nottinghamshire. And I think you make a great point there, to be honest, Matt, that on their day, they are absolutely wonderful. Statistically speaking, there isn't exactly something which stands out, right? It's not like Middlesex with the batting points. It's not like North Ants with the batting averages or Warwickshire with their batting averages. Because for the most part, Notts have actually been somewhat consistent in comparison to other counties. But it's just the overall performances. They've not been there this season. When they've been on the money, they've been brilliant and they've won matches. But when they've gone off the boil, when they've had some poor performances, they have been very, very poor. And to be honest, this week, they probably, for a lot of this game, were the second best team in Canterbury. But yep, they have survived. A rebuild probably is needed a little bit. There will be a bit of a changing of the guard in the East Midlands. But yeah, they definitely do have the the domestic talent, don't they? And of course, they have their not-so-secret weapon, the Great Dane, Mr. Patterson, who has been absolutely outstanding ever since joining the club back in the COVID years. But Kieran, I wanted to know your thoughts on this next question, right? And it'll be our last question for Division 1 this week. And it's about Lancashire, because as of this recording, on the day of recording, actually, my former co-host and now back as part of a member of the County Cricket Podcast, Mr. Joe Nuttall, wrote a great piece detailing the rebuild needed in the Northwest because a bit like with Nottinghamshire, it's been a very, very disappointing season. But the difference between Notts and Lancs is the newcomers for next season. Lancashire have not made a single signing in 195 days. There hasn't even been a contract extension throughout the entirety of this season, whereas Notts have brought in the likes of Jack Haynes, Dylan Pennington and Josh Tung for next season. They've really bolstered their ranks, whereas Lancashire have actually lost players. Dane Villas retired this week after a stellar career with the Red Rose. Matt Parkinson's going to Kent. Danny Lamb's going to Sussex. Rob Jones is going to Worcestershire. They're losing an awful lot of depth. So heading into 2024, where do you think Lancs are at at this current stage? Do you think that they do need some serious investment in this side if they are to reach the next level in Division 1 of the county championship? It's a tricky one because at the start of the season, a lot of people thought that Lancs would have been up there um, in Div 1. Um, because on paper, the side is one of, if not the best sides uh, in the country. Uh, I mean, you look at the batting um, all the way through, essentially people can bat sort of one to 11, the bowling, there's a lot of good seam options. I mean, um, Tom Bailey, Will Williams, um, Luke Wood, all very good seam options. I think the, the treatment of Matt Parkinson has been a bit of a weird one in that, you know, he, he's a player that, has has shown for a lot of different sides um, this season, Durham and Ken, in different formats that he can be very useful. And, and he obviously had shown that for, for Lancashire for years before, got himself um, England recognition in, in multiple formats. That wouldn't have happened if he wasn't a good player. I think that has been a bit of a weird one. Um, and, you know, potentially if Matt Parkinson had been playing a little bit more this season, they might have done a little bit better because... 
as I say, on the face of it, it is a very good side and people thought they were going to be up there. They've drawn eight games this season. Um, so that sort of shows you that they're certainly not a bad team, but they don't really have what it takes to go, um, you know, put the finishing touches to everything and, and have that killer instinct, but either with bat or with ball, which they've not had a problem realistically with, with either so far this season. Um They've got a lot of buying bonus points. They've got a lot of bowling bonus points. They just haven't been able to put everything together for whatever reason. Um, I think the people who who are leaving, um, they will need to replace. I think Dane Villas is is going to be a big miss. Um, obviously, hasn't had the best season, but you know he scored a century in his last game. Um, I think, yeah, there are certainly points of the side that that need addressing. Um, I think uh, another sort of top order back to to take the place of Villas, or maybe not top order, middle order back to, to take his place. Um, I know George Bell's come come through and been good so far this season. Um, so you know whether or not he he just continues to be given chances, George Balderson as well. Um, but I, I do think that there's a, a certain calibre of player that they potentially need to recruit um, and not just the personnel, it is more just having that killer instinct and, and having it drilled into a side that you need to be able to find ways to win. Um, and I, I don't know how they do that, but that's sort of more from a coaching level than a um, personnel level. Um, but as I say, eight draws when the next most uh, in Division 1 is, is five, um, that's obviously going to sway uh, a large portion of the season. And if you know, one or two of those draws have been turned into wins, they would have been in a much better position. Um, like I say, shows that they've, they've not been a bad team because he's not been losing those games, but that just, that's the main thing that needs addressing. Um, and that, from the start of next season, um, pre-season tour, you just have to drill in that you need to find a way to win. Um, and I, I think the side's definitely good enough to do that. Um it's just how they do it, really. And that is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Because Lanks have got all the talent in the world. I mean, for example, I predicted them as lifting the championship this season, but I do think there might almost be a little bit of emotional baggage with this particular group because they've been to so many finals. Think back to last year, second in the championship, reached the final of the Blast, final of the Royal London One Day Cup, and didn't win a single trophy. Think back to 2021, again, second in the championship, losing finalists against Warwick in the Bob Willis Trophy. So it's going to be very, very difficult for Lanks. It really is. Whether or not that can be achieved with a change of coach, I know that that is something which is being discussed up in the northwest. But I do think they need some real, real new personnel. I think Dane Villas is going to be a huge loss. And I did just want to give a bit of a shout out and some recognition, actually to Dane Villas because over the course of those seven years for Lanks, 200 appearances for the club, over 7,000 runs across formats, was the captain for four of those seasons, got the side promoted in 2019, played a magnificent hand against Glamorgan at Colwyn Bay, scored a double century, and then to just wrap up an excellent county career with a century on home soil against Middlesex. Dane Villas, thank you. To be honest, on behalf of county cricket fans, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to miss you, but... Yeah, it's been quite the career and obviously wishing Dane very, very good luck heading into the future with whatever endeavours he chooses to pursue. But 
Uh, aside from the conversation about Lanks then, folks, I suppose we'd better turn our attention to the second division. Because Division 2 also had some very, very good encounters, didn't it? And the, the main one, I suppose, the main attraction in the second division this week took place on the south coast, where Sussex beat Leicestershire by 15 runs in an absolute blockbuster of a fixture at the first central county ground. Then moving across the country to the West Country, we go to Bristol, where Gloucestershire and Derbyshire played out a high-scoring draw. And then finally, Glamorgan and Yorkshire played out a high-scoring draw at Sophia Gardens in Cardiff. So again, only three matches in the second division this week. But that game between Sussex and Leicestershire really has thrown a cat amongst the pigeons in the second division. So at the top of the table, a mathematically promoted are Durham County Cricket Club on 198 points. And lads, I've got to ask you about this first and foremost before we move on. Durham back in the first division for the first time since 2016. Kieran, I can see the smile on your face already. How brilliant is that to see as a fan of county cricket? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they sort of not had the easiest ride over the past few years, have they, with the fact that, you know, a lot of the the better players left when um, they had the financial troubles and uh, obviously got international games taken away from them and everything, which obviously the road back from there isn't particularly easy. So how they've gone about things this season and, and managed to rebuild under Ryan Campbell, who's a very good coach and, and his sort of philosophy to coach in that he doesn't particularly like drawing games and that he just wants to be a very attacking coach and um, has put together a squad that are obviously very capable of that this season. And um, like bringing Bastelader in, for example, who'd played um, one first class game in his career before this season, I think, and over the past few weeks has been phenomenal for them. Um, obviously brought in um, Matt Parkinson on loan earlier on in the season. They had Matt Kuhneman, um Ajaz Patel, there's been a lot of very good personnel um, and I think obviously Alex Lees has, has been phenomenal. They've got a couple of very good opening bowlers in in um, Matt Potts and Ben Rain and everything's come together for them. I think the job that Ryan Campbell has, has done has been phenomenal and they've been head and shoulders above anybody else in, in Division 2 so far this season. They've been like so far clear of everybody else. Um so, yeah, it's, it's very good to see them back. And, and obviously, it's, it's very deserved from the coaching, the, the players, and, and the fact that they've just wiped the floor with the division. It certainly is, Kieran. I think you've, you've summarised that absolutely brilliant, to be honest, mate. I, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful summary. And again, the fans deserve it, don't they? They have stuck through this team through thick and thin. It's been a ridiculously difficult seven years, hasn't it? The, the ECB bailout, that was immensely controversial. To be honest, to this day, I still think the effects are definitely felt. You look on social media, the fans still have incredibly strong opinions about the injustice surrounding that particular decision from the game's governing body in this country. But Durham are back. Durham are back. The three times county winners, a side which only became a first-class county in 1992, are back in the first division. So congratulations to Durham County Cricket Club. Congratulations to Scott Borthwick made the move back a few seasons ago from Surrey and he is now going to take his team back to the promised land of Division 1. That is absolutely wonderful. And Matt, I'd love to know your thoughts as well because I think it's quite clear that we're all big fans of Durham here on the podcast. They're a team which 
I think all three of us do have that affinity towards, given everything that's happened in recent years and given the fact that, that the nucleus of this side are just so homegrown. So, Kieran, you mentioned the likes of Matt Potts and Ben Rain, products of Philadelphia Cricket Club and Merton Cricket Club, respectively, in the Northeast Premier League. This is a team with such a character and identity, and they serve their local community excellently. So, Matt, a few words. Durham back in the first division. What are your thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, I think I'd be doing well to uh, to follow uh, Kieran's summary. It was, it was brilliant. Um, yeah, I can only echo it, mate. Genuinely, it's um, it's difficult to add anything, really, isn't it? Just to say that it it is wonderful to see them back. They've worked so hard for it in certainly in the initial stages really quite trying circumstances and it's not been a smooth road um certainly not been a short road but i guess that just makes it all the sweeter doesn't it so fair play durham you've earned this enjoy it and uh i suppose get yourself ready for uh this challenge that's coming next year yeah, it's the Lions then, isn't it? The first division. It, it really is. It's an unforgiving place, as the likes of Middlesex and, of course, Notts have found out this season. But it's just the status, isn't it? This club used to be winners of the county championship. They were a titan, weren't they? They were such a difficult team to beat, Durham. I remember back in the early 2010s, they were a prize scalp for Warwickshire County Cricket Club because they were just a phenomenal team, really difficult to break down, great bowling attackers. I suppose in many ways, that's also the identity that Ryan Campbell and Scott Borthwick have built around this team. I mean, Scott Borthwick had a fantastic interview today on the county championship socials surrounding that identity within that dressing room. And there was a brilliant interview that Ryan Campbell did back in May, I think it was, or April time on, on Crick Info. And he said that he wants Durham to be the best and biggest club in the country. He is an ambitious man. He's got high expectations, high aspirations for Durham County Cricket Club. And to be honest, I'm very, very excited to see where the Northeastern County go heading into the summer of 2024. But getting back on track to the table in the second division, still in second place, but the gap has now closed to just 18 points, are the pairs of Worcestershire on 154 points. In third, after that victory, over the Foxes are Sussex on 136 points. In fourth place, just three points behind Sussex, are Leicestershire County Cricket Club on 133 points. In fifth place, but with a game played extra, are Glamorgan on 131 points. But the key thing there, they have played 13 matches in comparison to the 12 matches that the team above them have played. In sixth place, are Derbyshire on 96 points. In seventh, also having played 13 games, are Gloucestershire on 95 points. And in eighth, are Yorkshire on 81 points so again where do we even begin lads with the promotion battle because last week myself and Matt we had the discussion it was between Leicestershire and Worcestershire and all of a sudden the Martlets have swooped right back into contention haven't they just 18 points separates Worcestershire and Sussex just 21 points separates Leicestershire and Worcestershire it's anyone's game it's now a three-horse race this battle to the finish which will provide us with some absolutely brilliant cinema over the course of these next couple of weeks. Kieran, I'll start with you first and foremost, mates. Who do you think will cross that finishing line and reach the first division in the summer of 2024? I don't think it will be Leicestershire. Um, 
just off the bat, I think the, the fact that both of the overseas have, have now gone um, in Peter Hanscom and Glenn Mulder, who have both been very useful for them this season. Um, Peter Hanscom more so in, in Red Bull cricket than Mulder, but obviously they've both been very good for them. Um, I think that's just very difficult for them to, to to overcome now. I think that they've been so such pivotal members of the squad this season and, and have um you know contributed to to the wins and, and the good performance of the side that I think losing both of them at this stage of the season um obviously I know that they have brought brought in um Umar Amin um and I know Ben Cox um actually went quite well um but yeah I think it will be difficult for them to to have people sort of step up and and play the roles that that those guys have because I think they have been so vital um and I think Sussex you know it it was only the second win so far this season but it, it was the right time to to bring it out and I think um the signing of Jadav Unadkat has obviously very much helped the chances. Um, I mean, uh, three for in in the first innings and then six for in the second. Um, That really helps them. So I I might lean towards Sussex just because it was such a, a, I'm not going to, it's difficult to describe. Obviously it wasn't, uh, massively convincing with the fact that um, Leicestershire very nearly got over the line but um, Unadcat basically um, ensured that they couldn't uh, uh, when there were, there were very good performances from a lot of Leicestershire batters and, and it would have been a mammoth chase had they gotten over the line so I think it feels sort of un- unfair and, and like a lack of credit to them to say that, that they're out of it now because it was a really good performance by Leicestershire but um, I think Sussex are, are coming up at the right time um, and, and if they have another performance like this, I, I certainly don't see any reason why it shouldn't be them. Um, obviously, they're not in quite as good a position as, as Worcester at the moment, but you know, form is um, at this stage of the season. If you can get yourself into form, it's the right time to do it. So I, I would lean towards Sussex at the moment, just because of how good they were last game against. You know, a lesser side who who have also been very good um, for periods of the season. It's interesting you say that, Kieran, because uh, again, last week we didn't even put Sussex in the mix, and now all of a sudden they're well and truly back in it. And Matt, before I get your opinion and your thoughts on this, just to give an extra layer of context to the situation panning out in front of our very eyes, Sussex played Derbyshire away and Gloucestershire at home. They are their final two fixtures. If the weather stays, Sussex are big favourites in both those matches. Both Gloucestershire and Derbyshire have had incredibly poor seasons and don't really have much to play for. They might play a few of the academy lads just to give them a bit of a run out. So Sussex on paper do have the easiest routes. Now, when we look at Worcestershire, Worcestershire have Durham at home next week at New Road and then they travel to Headingley. So they face Yorkshire in the final round of fixtures. And then finally, there's Leicestershire, who have those fixtures in the inverse. They've got Yorkshire at Grace Road next week, and then a difficult trip up to the Riverside in the final round of action. So who do you think, Mr Wiley, will join Durham in the promised land of Division 1 in 2024? 
I'm doing a complete about face. I'm going for Sussex. Genuinely, I am now. Yeah, yeah, why not? Um, I'd rather be in the chasing pack at this point. And to be honest, I'd rather be Sussex in the chasing pack. Fixtures, which you mentioned, no easy games, but easier on paper than Worcestershire and then Leicestershire. They've, like Kevin said, coming into form, the ideal time to do it. The morale boost that that win over Leicestershire will give them. You know, you'd almost rather win in dramatic fashion like that for the boost that it gives you. Um, because, you know, don't get me wrong, a big win will give you a boost. But the togetherness and the, the spirit, you know, the, the emotion in that dressing room after the beat Leicestershire must have been unbelievable. And I feel like it just makes you, you know, they probably um in Adcat has only come into only come into the team like and I bet you've now got or certainly when they were celebrating at the end there, I bet you've got ten guys who would frankly go to war for him after he took that final wicket, you know, the the level of team spirit must be absolutely beyond comprehension. So yeah, form, fixtures, team spirit, I think it's shaping up quite nicely. And I think they've, uh, they've probably got the best chance of getting themselves over the line. And to be honest as well, I just kind of throw it forward a little bit and point out that they've been on a bit of a project, haven't they, recently? Probably since a similar amount of time as well, over the past sort of, six, seven years, when they cut all time with everything. And, you know, five years ago, they were playing a load of 16-year-olds and they had a, the youngest, didn't they, at one point during the COVID years, have an average age of about 18 or something. It was youth project like I'd never seen the likes of in any sport anywhere and that's now coming to fruition so it would be kind of quite a nice parallel to see Durham and Sussex go up in that it was two it's two teams that have clearly had a long-term project coming to fruition and it it's a vindication that if you take the long-term approach which I'm a massive fan of in all sport generally it can pay off and I hope that it will give a few other teams a bit of hope for the future. Well, it would. It'd be a fairy tale, wouldn't it, for Sussex after that massive rebuild? I mean, both them and Leicestershire have been the two frontrunners, haven't they, in terms of that factory reset that we've seen in county cricket in recent years. And to be honest, both projects have worked. Leicestershire in the Metro Bank One Day Cup final, they're still in the mix for promotion. And then, of course, Sussex, they are the dark horses in the second division for that second promotion spot. So, It'll be incredibly interesting, and just in terms of this game, it really was magnificent, wasn't it? This was county championship cricket at its utmost best. I mean, there were so many incredible performances to, to cherry-pick and, and analyse. So, we'd mentioned Jada and Adcat, 6 for 94 in that second innings. Absolutely superb. Aristides Carvelas, the Greek god in Hove, as he shall now be known. Absolutely superb in that first innings as well. 4 for 14. And then he had some excellent knocks from the likes of Finn Hudson Prentice. He scored 65. Tom Clark scored 69. And James Coles backing things up with 63. So it was a very complete performance from Sussex. But I've got to say, I feel for Leicestershire. I really do. 15 runs when chasing 499. We've already seen Surrey dispatch 500 runs against Kent this season. And to be honest, I thought Leicestershire would do it. They were getting so close, in particular, that partnership between Amin and Ackerman. It was county cricket at its best. 
it was brilliant from those two. Ackerman scoring 136, Amin scoring 94. And then when those two fell, all of a sudden the pendulum shifts. You're thinking Leicestershire, they're going to roll over. This could be a commanding victory for Sussex. <laughs> and then the script flips over again. We get another twist in the tail as Tom Scriven scores 78 and Ben Cox scores 58 on his Fox's debut. So that really was a magnificent game of cricket. I use this phrase all the time, but it takes two to tango. And even though Leicestershire lost, I do think this will give them a massive morale boost, not just into the run-in, but also for the one-day cup final. They showed a lot of character. To even face 499 and get within 15 runs is an achievement in itself for a team which in the past has not been great in Red Bull cricket. The Foxes are competitive again in the first-class format, and yeah, it's been a very, very long time coming. But I will say, lads, I actually think Worcestershire will be the other team which gets promoted. I know that's very cliche. I know it's very safe of me. And to be honest, a bit of me just wants a Bears versus Pairs rivalry in the first division next season. An extra trip to New Road would not go amiss. But I do think now that Durham have been promoted, they might just relax a little bit. They can't be caught. They're going to win the division. They've got their their place in Division 1 next season. And Worcestershire have got them right where they want them. They've got them at home. They've got an excellent, excellent batting lineup. I don't think we've seen the best of Worcestershire's batting lineup at all this season. I think they've been far too reliant on Jake Libby and at times Azarelli. But if those guys come to the forefront, if they can put together a complete performance against a Durham side, which might just take a step back, I do think the pairs have got themselves in a prime position for that second and final promotion place. But this is all talk at the moment, isn't it? We'll have to wait and see. Things can change. This is the beauty of the second division. And if you aren't already watching it, watch those live streams, tune into the radio coverage, look on the BBC, whatever you need to do to follow the action. And of course, listen to the County Cricket Podcast. Do so, because these last two weeks are going to be absolutely blockbuster in every single sense of the word. But guys, aside from the the promotion race, and we've been incredibly positive about the likes of Sussex, about the likes of Leicestershire and the likes of Worcestershire, but one side which, to be honest, probably won't be promoted in 2023 are Glamorgan. And this is something that I think we need to talk about because Glamorgan have not been a Division One county since 2005. So ever since I've started watching county cricket in 2009, I've never seen the Welsh outfits in the top division. And that's something which absolutely staggers me. It's something which a lot of people don't know. It's the second active longest streak of any side not to have been promoted to the first division, the longest being Leicestershire, who haven't graced the first division since 2003. So in terms of Glamorgan's season, Kieran, I'll ask you first and foremost, mate, what have you made of the Welsh County? Because in the preview show, honestly, I thought they were they were dead set for promotion. You look at the batting, they've got some outstanding players in there. Kieran Carson, for example, bringing up a thousand runs for the first time in his county career. And then, of course, you've got some brilliant overseas options, like Samanus Labashane, Michael Nisa. You've got Colin Ingram or Kingram, as he's been termed by the Welsh outfits. They've got all of this firepower. They've got all of the weaponry to get back to the first division. But for some reason, it just hasn't it hasn't worked out, has it? So how would you summarise Glamorgan's performances and, of course, the disappointment associated with not securing promotion for yet another season? Well, I think it's difficult uh, when you draw 11 games in a season out of 13 players, they've drawn 11, which is mental. Um, and after Yorkshire played 
uh, at Sapphire Gardens this week, Otis Gibson um, suggested that, that there haven't been many teams who have taken 20 wickets there. And he was sort of not disappointed, but, you know, he probably was disappointed actually that um, that they were playing on a used pitch and um, there weren't many opportunities to take wickets. And that even if you put on a spinner, there wasn't much point in having a bat pad because um, there wasn't much bounce. Um, so I think if you can't win games at home because you physically aren't preparing decks that are going to allow you to, that's, you know, a large portion of your season where you're not going to particularly go in the right direction. Um, and, you know, that that's it's the same sort of thing as um, when we mentioned North Hans earlier, that um, well, it's, it's not the same in that, yes, Glamorgan do have a lot of good... Um, quality batting options the, the top order is is stacked and obviously as you say they've got a very good um overseas options when when they're available um Manus Labuschagne and Michael Neese is one of the best um overseas options that that anybody has had in in our division so far uh, this season um Colin in- Ingram another very good option um I think the bowling attack is quite samey similarly to, to North Ants um and on a pitch where it's difficult to take wickets at home that's not especially what you want um and then if you're having the same troubles away from home um which in in fairness to them they haven't um they've actually got quite a lot of bowling points but i think a lot of it comes down to that if you're not playing at home on a surface that's you know conducive to taking wickets with any style of bowling you're not going to have a fantastic season. And I think um, for the most part, it has been difficult for, for anybody to sort of get on top of the game at, at Glamorgan due to the fact that, you know, it's just been so difficult for them to take wickets and, and for anyone else to take wickets as well. So that sort of points to the, the reason there have been so many draws, um, as well as the fact that, you know, the side is maybe a little bit lopsided, that yes, you can put on 300, 400, 500, but if you can't take 20 wickets, then you're not going to win games and you're never going to get promoted if you win, if you draw 11 out of 13 games. Um, so certainly next season, they, they would hope that there's going to be a, a, you know pitches that are, are a little bit easier to, a little bit more level so that there's more chance of, uh, of a result um, and potentially... You know, other than Michael Nisa, people putting the hand up with the ball and and potentially a, a point of difference if that is at all possible for them. Do you think that they will change it though? Because the reason I ask this, Glamorgan are actually unbeaten at home. So out of the six matches at Sapphire Gardens this season, they've had five draws and a win. Do you think they will change that heading into the future? I, I don't see it. I, I I don't know how they can not because eleven draws it's far too many like yes you're not losing games but you're also not winning games you're not going to win um or or come in the top two by you're not going to draw your way to promotion um even if you're getting you know a lot of bonus points because you know if you're back first (laughs) you hit 500 because you're not going to be able to take the wickets Uh, and i think just that many draws it's just it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help the other sides. I don't think you, you'd bother that much if you lost, you know, one in three games, if there's a lot better chance of you winning the other two. 
um, because the whole point of playing sport, um, certainly professional sport, is that you want to win. Um, and I think that outweighs not wanting to lose. Um, so I think even though they are unbeaten at home, that um, well, they've only lost one, one game anywhere, but they've also only won one game. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I certainly think something will have to change on that point because, as I say, you can't draw your way to promotion. It would be ridiculous to try and do so. And I don't think that's, that is what they're trying to do. I think it's just um, that has just happened this season and you would hope next season something would change so that um, things are, are a bit more, there's more chance of a result at home, um, you know, or away because it's just a lot of draws, so many draws. It is a lot of draws, and actually, to to nab a not a saying, but I suppose a <laughs> a coinage that my friend came up with. He actually called them Gladrogan, um, which I thought was quite good. I can't lie; I'm a bit gutted. I didn't think of it myself because I usually call us Drawickshire whenever we <laughs> just dig in and, and battle away for a draw. But yeah, it, it's just been one of those seasons for Glamans it's it's not going to get any easier, is it? Let's face it, because they're now without a head coach. Matt Maynard today has stepped down from his role. And Matt, before we get on to our chats about the performances of the week and we wrap up today's episode, what was your reaction to that news? Because I wouldn't exactly say it came out of the blue. I think that his frustrations with the club and in particular the board were actually quite well known. I think that you know, that's come out in, in a number of interviews and it came out today in a piece by Crick Info, but... In terms of his departure and in terms of the next steps to put Glamorgan back in a position to get promoted, how do you think they can go about it heading into the summer of 2024? Yeah, they've absolutely shot themselves in the foot, haven't they? I mean, I suppose they haven't applied the finishing the finishing touch, if you like, because Matt Maynard's quit, he's not been sacked, but the inability to keep somebody like that is a massive, massive own goal. It really is. And I hope that they're not kind of losing any kind of... How do I, how do I put it? I hope they're not about to... I hope they're not about to try and do a reset because, I, in my opinion, trying to do a reset for them would be the wrong thing to do. I think, as Kieran pointed out, with the things with, like the pitch, for example, it, it's some very small changes, it's some very relatively easy changes to implement and it doesn't require you you don't have to knock the house down and start again i think so the fact that they haven't given matt maynard their backing and the fact that he's felt that he has to resign to get anywhere doesn't fill me with confidence it really it's you know it's what kind of direction is the senior leadership at glamorgan trying to take the club in and I'm not convinced that I'm an outsider. I don't know, you know, their financial situation might be um, a bit rubbish. They might have any kind of outside influences that are necessitating decisions, but purely as an outsider and as a neutral, it, it doesn't, I don't think it will take much. Um, the thing about the pitch is an interesting one. They will have to change it because if they don't, and that's just plain hubris, I mean, they'd, they'd have to. I mean, you said it, Kieran, you've got to want to win more than you want to not lose. So you've got to make that change because that's a change that's easy to make 
over the winter and everybody can see is absolutely staring them in the face. So the personnel, maybe um, the overseas is a really tough one because obviously you've invested in two really good overseas players, but it depends how much you're going to see them. Manus you might see a bit of actually because it's a white ball, the T20 World Cup in the middle of the summer and he's not going to be playing in that, is he? So you might, and Michael Nisa as well, he's not exactly anywhere near the Australia T20 squad either, is he? So you might see both of those. Again, that's not a change that needs to be made. Personnel-wise, again, um, they've got a solid core. The one thing, who've decided to replace David Lloyd, that's just going to be the the kicker, isn't it? And not just his all-round ability, but the fact that he's been their captain as well. Chris Cook, I suppose you could say, has got that leadership in him and has captained the team. But you just you're going to need somebody, an opening bat, and a bowler. You know, you that's two separate players, isn't it? Really, you've got a bit of a a bit of a Swiss Army knife with David Lloyd in that he opens the batting as well. So yeah, it's that could be the one change that you know you've you've got to get that bit of recruitment right. But I, I don't think they're not far away. And yeah, just to go back to the original point, if they start trying to to do a major rebuild and say, oh, it's going to take us five, six years to get promoted. No, it's not. You could do it next year with the right preparation and as long as you get these little things right. So it'll be interesting to see what direction they take. But I think most neutrals and most outsiders can see what direction they should take it down to the uh, to the board and the senior leadership to decide if that's the one that they want to take. Absolutely, and they are a team to watch out for, aren't they, next season? Because this has been very disappointing. After all of the promise from last year, they were on the verge of being promoted, ultimately ended in heartbreak, but yeah, things have not been good at Glam this season, and it's been quite sad to see, to be honest, because I do have a soft spot for them. I think it'd be wonderful to see them back in the first division. As I said, 18 long years for their fans, they do turn up in force at Safari Garden, so fingers crossed things do improve both on and off the pitch at Glamorgan heading into next summer. But in terms of the captaincy, I'd keep Kieran Carlson. I think he's been really good. In particular with the bat in hand, yes, there are certain areas of captaincy which are a little bit raw, a little bit unrefined, a little bit unpolished, but they've got serious cricketer there. He's been a talismanic figure across format for Glamorgan for a number of seasons, and I just think Leadership will suit him perfectly. It's his home club. He's a Welsh boy. So it's an honour and a privilege to lead Glamorgan County Cricket Club. I'd give Carlson the reins. I do think they need to potentially bring in another top-order option with the departure of David Lloyd, even though Zainal Hassan has been incredibly impressive. And then just build around your core. Jamie McElroy's really improved this season. He's really impressed me. 23 wickets. That's an average of 27 for the Hereford Sassine bowler this year, and then Ben Kellaway as well. I think he's got a very, very bright future in this game. So they've got the the weaponry. They just need to find a way of converting that into results, and in particular wins, because, as Kieran mentioned beforehand, you can't draw your way to promotion in the county championship. But, guys, just before we finish proceedings and we wrap up today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast, I just want to know your performance of the week, because there's been so many that we haven't even touched upon. So, for example, Ollie Price, Scored 132 down in Bristol this week. Leicester deploy scored 108 in that particular match. Anuj Dal, what an end to the season. This guy's having a consecutive fifer 
for the Derbyshire rounder, taking figures of six for 69. And then, of course, you had Shamasud's 192, a mammoth knock for Yorkshire at Sapphire Gardens this week. Finley Bean scored 93. Eddie Byram scored 101. Sam Northeast scored 166 not out in that game. And then, of course, in the first division, we saw that century from Dane Villas. We saw 86 from Sam Robson. We saw a Pfeiffer for Giant Yadav. And career best figures of 7 for 46 from Warwickshire scene bowler Oliver Hannon-Dorby. Hashtag build that statue. Get it up at Edgebaston. The man deserves it. He's a modern legend of the bare and ragged staff of Warwickshire County Cricket Club. And then, of course, we had Zach Crawley's 158. So we aren't exactly short for choice here, are we, lads? So, Kieran, I'll start with you first and foremost. Who is your performer of the week in this week's round of the county championship? Uh, it's just funny when you were listing off things and the amount of people that scored runs at Glamorgan because they might as well have been batting on a runway. Um, I would, I'm going for Jada Van Adkat um, just for, for the, the, the magnitude of the win and the fact that it was his first game taking a six for and a three for in, in the first innings. I think it would be difficult to look past. Um, and if you look down the scorecard, I think he took the, the last five wickets um, like to, to get the win. Um, so it would be difficult to, to look past that for me, um, specifically the fact that it was his, it was his debut for the club. Fair enough, Kieran. An outstanding choice. And to be honest, I don't disagree with it for the most part. But on this occasion, I do actually, because I've gone with Ben Sanderson. I've gone with Ben Sanderson. That hat-trick was unbelievable, right? I've seen quite a few hat-tricks in my time, right, in cricket. Not in county cricket, but just general cricket. You'd be pressed to find a better one than that. It was three pitch-perfect deliveries. The one to Rhodes was nice. The one to Hayne was superhuman. And then the one, just to finish it off, the, the icing on that cake to Dan Mosley was just superb. So I'm going with Ben Sanderson, but with a very, very large mention to Oliver Hannon Dolby. Seven for 46, digging in for nine not outs, ultimately helping the Bears alongside Michael Burgess to that victory. So those would be my picks. And Matt, who have you gone with as your performer, your standout player in the county championship this week? I've had, as much as I um, just sort of slightly ripped into Nottinghamshire. I've actually gone with Joe Clark for his 141 down at Kent. Um I think he's not had you know he, he had a he had a period where you know he was churning out runs for fun and then he's had a bit of a fallow spell. But just recently we've seen a little bit of an uptick and I think that he's dug his team out of a real hole there, you'd have to say. I mean the the first inning performance with the word I've got in my head is diabolical, but it probably wasn't that bad. But it wasn't, you know, it, it was really poor. You know, when you're following on, um, something's gone very badly wrong. But yeah, he's done that job. He's dug in. Uh, he was unbeaten as well, which is always uh, always nice. And I just think that, yeah, he's, he's done very well. But then, I suppose you could say in the same game, you just give a little bit of credit to Joey Everson because he then did the same in a sort of, more of a microcosm type situation, didn't he? Where he got fewer runs in fewer overs in a shorter innings, but he played that dig in and drag his side out of trouble later in the day. It's always sweeter against your former club, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think he did have a point to prove. So, yeah, Joe Everson as well definitely deserves a mention. As did Michael Hogan in that game, five for 63. Yeah. Aaron oh. HR, four for 67 on that debut as well. But again, there's so many performances that we could have chose from Ladson's. Just one final shout out for the podcast. I've mentioned him already, but Tom Scriven, 
78 and figures of four for 55 in that second innings. Almost got Leicestershire across the line in that incredible encounter on the south coast. And he's really impressed me this summer. I think he's a wonderful prospect. I think he'll be a great all-rounder for Leicestershire for a number of years to come. And it's great to see his talent coming to the forefront. I always saw that little bit of extra talent in him from his time at Hampshire, former England under-19, a good solid all-rounder with both the bat and ball in hand. It's been good to see him take the next step up in his game. So shout out to Tom Scriven as well. But lads, I think that's a wonderful place to to wrap up what's been a bumper episode of the County Cricket Podcast. That's absolutely flown by. We've had plenty to discuss and I don't think we've been short of any conversation, have we, this week? An awful lot's gone on in the world of county cricket. And to be honest, that'll be the same for the next couple of rounds as well. And we will be here to take you through every single step of the way as the 2023 LV County Championship reaches a cinematic conclusion. But that is pretty much it from us three here at the County Cricket Podcast for today's episode. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, Thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.